0: On HTO Football today, we're joined by Charlie Casson who was most recently treading the boards in the West End in the Great Gatsby. Charlie chats us about all things Barnet Football Club and being an actor. Hope you enjoy.
1: Well, welcome to HTO Football, Charlie. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, how are things, mate?
2: Very well. Thank you for having me on. I'm Much appreciated.
1: Everything coping in lockdown still.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, getting by. You know, making, make keeping myself busy, keeping mm. myself sane. Um, mm. Missing football though, obviously that was that's the obvious thing. But mm. Mm. yeah, but I don't know. Bundesliga, Bundesliga isn't quite doing it for me at the moment. I'm not going to lie. No, I
1: know the, the we're going to get onto the behind closed doors thing. I think in a bit, but I'm just I'm struggling to be honest.
2: It's not the same. It's not the same. F- football isn't the
1: same without fans, and this has been no. confirmed over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Another passion of yours is the acting. Um, can you can you just rewind to the beginning and where it all started for you? Where was it was it a school thing? I, I yes. remember I remember I remember like drama sessions at school at secondary school being asked to come into the middle of the circle and do like a and that scared the life out of me. I think Tom was Tom was far better than me in that regard.
0: Yeah, I left <laughs> a bit of drama I left a bit of drama class. Where did it all start? From? <laughs> so I
2: you look back at family videos and stuff from when I was a kid. And I did, I wasn't into drama then, but if if you look at it on holidays and stuff, I'm always at the front getting the certificates for like, you know, killer pool and like the stupidest dancer around the pool or all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so I was always sort of like, love being like, you know, the centre of attention sort of thing. Mm. And um, but the drama itself, I started year seven. I started Finchley Catholic, and um, I really got into like the after school drama clubs and stuff, and then the year sevens were doing a production of Oliver twist. So I said, oh, all right, I'll, I'd like to audition for that. So I went down there and managed to get the part of Bill Sykes, um, oh, which is nice. my first. Yeah. I had a little, um, the beard was like black marker pen from the art <laughs> department and they just like colored my face in. So I looked like I had a beard. Um, I don't think I had a dog. We had, maybe I was I had say, what was bullseye. Like? How
0: did you get bullseye on the stage? <laughs> <laughs> just
2: like... I don't think they got the, got the rights for that. But, um, yeah, no, I did that. And then I just, I still remember it today, um, like being on that stage in the school hall and just like the buzz I got from it was just unbelievable. And I went home after that and just said to my mum, like, can I go to, can I go to little like theatre school, do some theatre classes? So ended up going to Bowden's till I was about 17. Um, did like Saturday classes, did some exam, acting exam classes. And it, it wasn't till I was about 16. So it's probably year 11, year 10 year 11 I I, I said to my I came to like the conclusion that this could be my job like before it was just a hobby and a laugh and it just was a bit of an escape from like school and stuff so when I got to 16 yeah I said to my mum right I I don't want to do my GCSEs I want to go and do like a not my GCSEs my A-levels I want to go to do a um like performing arts somewhere so I got into a BTEC performing arts course at Barnett College did that wasn't great to be honest with you there was like I fell out of love with it for those two years. Actually, there was there was mm. there was probably me and one other person out of a class of twenty who actually wanted to do it. The rest were there because they didn't know what they wanted to do, so mm-hmm. they weren't. They had no passion for it at all, and it was sort of quite drowning. Did that, and then I came out of there with with my um with my grades and stuff. But the thing with acting is, when you go to drama school, which is you know the pinnacle of training like every top actor has been to drama school there's mm. there's some great actors who haven't but it's the place where you go to get all your tools sort of thing mm. Mm. um y- y- the thing with that is you don't need grades it's all audition based so you could essentially have have not been you couldn't have gone to school it's primary school or secondary school or done any a levels mm. if you go in and do a good monologue and you're good they'll accept mm. you you, mm. you don't need any grades at all so in that sense, the grades didn't mean anything, but obviously, you know, if, as a backup, it's nice to have the, the credentials and the um, the marks and stuff on your certificates. Mm. So I finished college, I'm 18 now, I said I wanted to go to drama school, you know, I wanna, I wanna train, I wanna learn my craft. Um, took me two, took me three years to get in, sorry. So I didn't get in the first two years. I did, you know, the guild Guildhalls, Royal Welsh's, all these big drama schools. And um, I was 20 came to my third year auditioning and I said to my mum and dad, I said, I think this is it. If I don't get in this year, I think, I think I'm going to knock it on the head. Yeah. I managed to get into the Royal Wales College of Music and Drama, which had just been voted the best drama school in the UK at the time, which was good. 20 of us got in, I think out of about three, three and a half thousand people auditioning. Um, so yeah, that was good. Went, went up there, lived in Cardiff for three years, trained as an actor, did all sorts of stuff, um, which was incredible. Um, and then yeah graduated at 22 years old and now sort of out in the big big bad world really and then Mm. you do do a showcase in london where you sort of 200 agents and directors and casting directors turn up and Mm. it's almost like it's like a cattle market you come on stage and do your speech and you just see everyone in the audience's heads go down to look at you in the program to find out who you are Mm. what your name is what you've been doing Mm. what accents you can do um and then after that really you just get a call uh, from someone saying can come in for a meeting and then that was it, mate. I was in the
1: in the big bad world. Well Tom and I were talking off air just before about how in performance sort of related industries, I mean, we will probably talk about footballers at some point as well. There is that there is that harsh, cold judgment, isn't there? Assessed because of your footballing talent on the grass or how you talk on a stage. It's different to school, isn't it? When you're, yeah, when you're lot, getting marks and stuff like that.
2: it's a lot different and also in 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 the sense of like a trial say you were try it on a football trial um if you're not good enough they ain't gonna take you that's it no hard feelings they don't they're not bothered do you know what i mean they want to know if you're good and it's the same with if you go for an audition in acting Mm. if you go to an audition and they don't want you you're not getting you're not getting any feedback you're not getting told why it's sort of like right so in that sense it's quite has the same ruthlessness as mm-hmm. um, trying to break into the football industry,
0: yeah, and still and still quite subjective based as well. I imagine um, my, my missus was in West End actress and singer for many years. She went to Mountview and uh, Mountview mm-hmm. Academy. Um, but it's saying you know the demoralising factor of so you're putting yourself out there, and it is based on that person's opinion on that day, or if you, you if you bring it that day, and I think the the, the margins must be so thin as well. I mean, yeah. kind of li- always living on that thin thin line.
2: So yeah, mate, it's so true what you said about how you're feeling on a certain day. Like, I've been on the other side of it now since graduating. I've been on the side of I help out every now and again down on the panel for the for the new auditions and seeing it from the other way is really interesting because, like you said, depending on how someone is feeling on a certain day, it could it could turn turn the other tide. Do you know what I mean? And it's um, it's a t- it's a tough industry. It is a very tough industry, but. Once you put in all that work and training for three years and all the you know money you've spent on it, um, you, you you want to carry on, and it's and it's all I've wanted to do for ages. And I think I'd be mm. selling myself short if I if I knocked it on the head now. Um, mm. So I, I know I know how tough it is, and I know what it comes with, but I know
1: mm. how to deal with that. Mm. I mean, you talk of you talk of the instability that that's in the industry. with not knowing what when the next job's coming or the next paycheck or what or whatnot and um there's like a professional expectation isn't there for you to show the emotions of x y and z when needed um mm-hmm. how, how, how do you deal with that charlie that on days where maybe you can't just seem that joyous professionally or cry professionally or
2: it's tough you have to what you were saying to me before about well being in, in the industry and how my how my job is good for that. I was having to think about it and I think it's actually the opposite. So I I, I think my job isn't good for your well being, but you have to find ways to make it make yourself like mentally stable during it. So like it's tough because there isn't I can't think of any other job in the world where you don't know what you're doing in two weeks. Um It's literally that much. Like, you could get a call. I know it's lockdown, but if it wasn't, I could get a call tomorrow with an audition. To go to an audition on Wednesday, I could have the part by Friday. Monday, I could be in a rehearsal room for a West End show. Like, it's 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 that ridiculous. So you just have to keep yourself busy. The things I do to sort of when I'm not working, I just try to stay creative. I try to exercise. You know, go on runs because it clears your mind and stuff. Mm. Um, Try to do anything I can to make myself make myself feel, still feel sane and still feel like I'm an actor. It's really mm. tough when you're not acting and you see other people acting. You, you can, it's easy to feel like, oh, I'm not an actor, but you are an actor. Even when you're out of work, you're an actor. I'll be an actor f- forever, do you know mm. what I mean, to the, day, mm. to the day I die. It's tough when you see things going on and you're like, oh, I could have done that or
1: mm. that should be me or something like that. It sounds similar to footballers, doesn't it, really, when they're on the medical treatment table. Watching their teammates play in front of the audiences in the crowds. I mean, even when I was growing up, I remember obviously you know football was a big part of my childhood playing. I've I've never been on the stage at all, <laughs> only the grass really. Um, but I, I struggled at a similar age to you really when you you know when you mentioned earlier about that period during the schooling A levels where you weren't sure really what to do. And um, I think it's quite a big part of sort of growing up process around that sixteen seventeen mark where I was playing football regularly, but. Also, very invested in my education at the same time, um, and I felt like there was a period where playing football um, seemed to not be at the top anymore of my list. Which I which I, was, I sort of struggled to deal with for a couple of years because I felt like, well, I've always had a ball at my feet um, since I was probably about seven, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting there thinking like, I don't really want to go and play that game today. You know, um, mm. really, really, really tricky. Spell, and then, having said that i mean i'm still as, I'm still as fanatical about football as ever it's just
2: I was just saying, yeah like you said you you were about priority, shift and you have to make a decision don't you, a realistic decision in terms mm. of like
0: mm.
2: can i can I make a living off mm. this or you know possible like mm. have I got that drive, and is it possible
1: yeah yeah um, and, and and parent you know parents driving x, y, and z miles to Get you to train in in the week when you've got school the next day, and it's it's a huge sacrifice as well. So you have to find that balance, and there there comes a point where you think, well, realistically, is this going to happen for me? Um, obviously, mm. for me, it wasn't. but um,
0: Yeah, I think it's about giving giving the best of yourself, isn't it? Sort of doubling down and making sure that mm. for whatever time period you give it, you give it absolutely everything in that period. So, like you said, Charlie, when you know it might be your third time going back to royal Welsh, but you're saying if this isn't it, that's not that's, that may be fine. But for the next two, three years, or whatever, that's going to be what I absolutely do. Mm. Um, you know, so I think it's just making sure you're always present and actually giving the very best of yourself in that moment. Mm. And if you decide that that's a that's only going to, I'm only going to give it another 24 months. I'm only going to give it another five years tops. That's great. But for those five years, for those 24 months, just make sure you're absolutely bringing every single bit of you. Um, mm-hmm. But that, but that, you know, that that's not easy. That's not, you know. It's not not easy at all. But I think you sort of owe it to yourself when you're in an industry like acting or playing football where actually, do you know what I mean? You're always at the mercy of other people and their decisions. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the only thing you can control Mm -hmm. is what you bring. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, but mind you, what I was going to just try and move the conversation on. with What we can't control is when we are football fans and you have absolutely no control about what's happening on the pitch in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, You're a Barnet fan, aren't you, for however many years, Charlie, for your sins? Yeah, Barlet fan. I've been
2: I've been a Barlet fan since my first game was two thousand and one. Um, I've actually got a, so I'm at, I grew up on United. So my dad was a United fan, like, he, he, and he wasn't an armchair fan. I mean, he, he was at he was at the Champions League final in ninety nine. Um, the the treble United team. Um, we were actually in Salou in Spain for a holiday, and um, he didn't have a ticket, but he got the train from Salou to Barcelona. I was about five. And um, he managed to get he managed to get a uh, ticket to the game. I've actually got a funny story about that. So he was in the queue, he was in the queue at the new camp getting in with his ticket, and he's got chatting to this bloke in front of him who was from Barnsley, and he said, "Oh, how much did you get your ticket for?" And the guy was like, "I ain't got one." And my dad went, well, "What are you do? What are you doing in the queue?" He went, "Mate, I'm getting in. Trust me." And my dad's gone, "What? He's not got a ticket. Look at all the security guards." He goes, "He goes, no, I'm getting in. I'm getting in." So my dad was chatting to me. He was like, all right, fair enough. So he gets to the front of the queue, and my dad's gone through with his ticket. And as my dad's gone through, a woman fainted by the, right on the other side of the turnstile. And the turnstiles aren't like how they are now. Yeah, they were yeah, a, lot yeah. easy, a lot easier to get in. Mm. And this fella, all the security ran to this woman, mm. and this fella's just ran in, snuck in with my dad. And he sat on my, like stood next to my dad, like behind him for the whole game. And they spent the whole night. Yeah. And my dad still tells the story now, and he still thinks that that man tells the exact same story to his kids wherever he is. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. It was a mental story. So yeah, I grew up. I grew up on United. You know, I had the United shirt when I was one to the age of about six. And then we used to go up there quite a lot. I went to quite a few games in the treble winning season at Old Trafford. Um, and then my dad took me to the barnet in two thousand and one for the Torquay game, the the day we got relegated. I sort of, I loved it, you know? So we started going more often. We didn't go go all the time. We went every now and again, as as well as going United. Um, But it was at that point, about 2002, 2003, I would have called myself a United fan and a Barnet fan. It wasn't until 2005 when Barnet got promoted, um, that conference winning season Mm. under um, Fairclough, Mm. where I sort of became religiously... Mm you know i was i was 11 i just started school secondary school it gets to the point where you know you're allowed to do things you're allowed to go out on your own you're allowed to walk mm. you know i was getting the bus to school my own so i thought oh, i'll go down to barnet with my mates and it was it was then when i sort of it became religiously like mm. i'd choose i'd go for them over united all day and then two months later we get united in the Carlin cup um mm. which really like confirmed my feelings towards it when i was like Oh my god, we're going in the barnet and like it's barnet yeah, and united. Yeah, um, and yeah, ever since then I've just been home, home and away when I can. Obviously, when I was in Cardiff, I didn't get to go as much, but um, I used to go to the Newport games and the Bristol games, mm. um, and come down whenever I can. Um, so yeah, ever since ever since then, really, I've been I've been barnet.
1: To be fair, I think you've shown a huge commitment by that, bouncing back from that first game against Torquay, Charlie. I know, yeah.
2: I mean, my my dad still says to this day, any other kid wouldn't wouldn't (laughs) have wanted to go back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That just sums it up, doesn't it, really? I know, yeah. Did well to to carry on from there, really. What a starting point.
2: I know, right? I didn't
1: didn't manage to get in that day. Did you not? No, I was queuing outside. Obviously, obviously I'm not a Barnet fan, so what what was the score?
2: (laughs) It was a... Anyway, so what's the... uh... (laughs) (laughs) It was a huge game. It was basically... Whoever yeah. went down, whoever whoever won stayed up. We, we were bottom; they were second bottom. There was one point in it. It was literally winner takes all. Mm. And I think we were two nil down after 25 minutes or something. And then Darren Curry missed a penalty just before half time, which would have made it two one. And then mm. they scored again straight off the second half, and we managed to get two back. Mm. And there was a streak, streaker as well, halfway through, which I remember, mm. I remember, I remember thinking, cause it was my first game at Barnet. I was like, oh, does this happen every week? Mm. Naked bloke, just runs on <laughs> the pit. Um Yeah, end up 3-2 and I just remember I was in the family stand with my dad, I just remember walking out very vividly seeing like just a sea of yellow shirts from Torquay on the pitch, mm. um, just singing up to their manager in stand. stands. But um, yeah, it was just, a, it was to see that, I mentioned it on my podcast, but to see that in your hometown, you know, I mm-hmm. didn't. I didn't mm. know there was that many people in Barnet before I went to that game. Mm. Mm. Like you just see, you yeah. see the high street and you go to school, and mm. but as a as a six year old seeing that, it was like, oh my god, this is mm. like a massive event.
1: Yeah, uh, and it goes just also as well, like the, for your first game to experience such a what a low point for the club, I suppose it's just it's just an example, isn't it, of the the roller coaster ride of a fan really, the, the lows and the highs. I mean, that day I always blame Tony Cotty for my mm. exit from the football game because I was on Barnet's books at the time um as a in their in their academy. Obviously after that game, they the academy of they'd closed it down. So I I'd, I'd signed a one year extension. I sound like a professional footballer, don't I? <laughs> I said I, I, I signed a one year extension to my academy contract. this gets even worse, not And um and um I basically needed but bar- we needed to win that game. Otherwise I wasn't at their academy anymore. So there was like I didn't get in and also my career ended. At the oh age at the tender age of ten, as well. So, yeah, not not a great day, really. I used to love it down there at Undeal.
2: Yeah, it was such it was such a family, you know, family mm. club, close mm-hmm. knit club, and the slope as well. The slope,
1: the mate. slope.
2: Yeah, yeah, legendary.
1: <laughs> is that is that is that some sort of escapism? Do you feel like when you go to the games on the terraces, Charlie? I know you go very regularly. Um, is is there a is there is there a similarity with? Being on stage and being in the terraces, do you feel that sense of um, liberation?
2: Yeah, 100%. For sure. I I definitely, it's a different buzz, Mm. but it's the same sort of buzz. (laughs) I get the same buzz as going to a Barnet Away game as I do when waking up on the first day of rehearsal. Not not a home game, no. (laughs) (laughs) Both, but you know, I, 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 I,
1: I, I could vouch for that, to be fair
2: they're different feel. it's a different feeling like I-, I like going to when i go to the hive it's like right chill like chill tracksuit bottoms maybe yeah no just, one there. just yeah just relax <laughs> yeah. maybe like just chill out a coffee that you go to a game it's like right i'll get i'll get dressed up for this maybe have a beer um <laughs> maybe
1: but- <Treat> myself here
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah um but no yeah definitely definitely feel the same sort of buzz in terms of like escapism and like just concentrating on something and having something mm. to look forward to, like mm. without a doubt, or like when I'm going Barnet regularly, it's it's the midweek which is like right got game on Saturday. It like it gets me through. It gets me through the week. Mm. Any football does really, but you know when it's a team you follow and support. Mm. Um, mm. And I've had stick, I've had stick supporting them throughout my whole my whole school years. But I just shout back at the armchair fans and say, look, if you want to give it, go to some games
1: first. Yeah. But- um, yeah there's something there's something about watching your team play that it doesn't matter how good or bad the day's gone or how, how you're feeling at the time there's that 90 minute period isn't there where I mean you know Tom you go to Arsenal every week don't you yeah. there's, there's that there's that know, just, <laughs> <laughs> well but, but <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are in the league table how many if you haven't scored for five or six games or whatever it is you just you know that when you go there's you're gonna get lost in it
0: you know mm. yeah completely mm-hmm. and also you, you the day, the atmosphere, the result, it, it means more. I mean, when I've, you know, when the years went by and, I was, and obviously I've been Arsenal fans in my life, but when I was younger and I wasn't going every week, I didn't have a season ticket. Um, you know, your results, the results and whether you're winning trophies or whether you're playing really great stuff, that kind of is all that matters because you're not part of the family. You're not part of the atmosphere. You're not those other things don't matter to you at the time all you want to do is win and obviously when Mm -hmm. we were younger we're growing up on Arsenal being very successful probably from Mm -hmm. late 90s to early 2000s and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so whereas now when you go every week like Charlie was saying actually you you wake up in the morning or even a couple of days before and you're looking forward to seeing a couple of friends Mm -hmm. you're looking forward to the Mm -hmm. day out you're looking Mm -hmm. forward to having a few drinks you're looking forward to having a good day Um, and actually although the result ultimately still matters massively the, the, the 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 football being part of your life isn't necessarily results driven. Whereas I think if you're just sort of watching it on TV and stuff like that, it is because it's all you've got. It's the only passion yeah. you have. Mm. Um mm. and you know, that's what I've missed over the last few months is not mm. necessarily Arsenal winning football matches. Cause as we know, that's we've won less in the last few years than we used to. Um mm. but actually it's more actually that that mm. feeling, that atmosphere, that discussion, that debate. Mm. I mean, you know, I still remember growing up in school and you put in the sort of dream teams on the back of your, you know, your school books and stuff like that, and who's signing mm. for who that summer and that kind of thing, um, mm. and the, those kind of debates. That's what matters ultimately, not necessarily mm. who ends up with lifting the mm. trophy at the end. Because I mean, I think we, I, I think us,
1: all three of us are probably during this period, obviously, hugely missing the game. But it's, I think, for football fans in general, that that sort of sense of normality is being really hard to. Adjust to, I suppose, not having games, and
0: and it's but, the polar man- opposite to what is happening now. Mm. So you're mm. talking, you know, I got to Arsenal, sixty thousand people there, mm. you know, singing together. Sometimes singing, they're together anyway. Mm. <laughs> it's not the best yeah. atmosphere, but they're together <laughs> for one cause. To mm. potentially now, the isolation in your own homes of your own family is the complete mm. opposite. So it's a, it's a group activity mm. with a lot of um, companionship and a lot of camaraderie mm. versus potentially being in lockdown in isolation mm. and don't get me wrong um you know the human cost and the devastation that the global pandemic causes is greater than a game we do know that but mm. nonetheless the game plays a such a huge part in individuals' mm. people's lives mm. um mm. so yeah it's been I think from that perspective it's been tough for everyone but that mm-hmm. um, just hopefully means we'll enjoy it more when it comes back properly
1: i mean not 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 everything that comes from the terraces is always in in goodwill the difference between a theatre crowd, Charlie, and a football crowd, there's that different expectation, like we said earlier, where, like Tom mentioned, football fans aren't in control of what happens on the grass, whereas at least you'd like to think that if you're sitting in a in a theatre seat, that you're going to get guaranteed entertainment, hopefully most of the time anyway, whereas in football, it's, you, just, you really don't know what's going to happen to you the next second to the next.
2: Yeah, you say that, though. You say that about the fans, theatre fans and football fans being different. I did a play last year Here we um, go. <laughs> I did a play I did, I did a play last year called the plow and the stars um, I did it at the lyric Hammersmith. yeah and it's basically uh, it's a play about the Easter uprising in Dublin in 1919 1919 yeah just after World War one and um, it was 85% of the cast were Irish and then me and this other guy were playing the two British soldiers who went over to Dublin and obviously invaded Dublin we then went to Dublin and done it in a theatre on um, Grafton Street, which yeah, is right yeah. in the heart of Dublin. And I, I got booed in the bows. <laughs> I got booed by the Dublin crowd. So, you, like, there was a sense of like. This is how it feels to be yeah, Robbie Savage. Yeah, yeah. So it feels to be Robbie Savage or Jerry Barton getting sent off. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, I just walked on and I could just hear like boo, boo. <laughs> so they're. Um, which I mean is a good thing because they were they were obviously like mm, invested mm. in it and um, they're really passionate about their history and stuff. Mm. But um, yeah, it's it's a strange one. Where, I mean, like you said about as a footballer on a pitch, you can afford you can afford to do something wrong. You get you get stick for it from your fans mm, mm. if you if you did a misplaced misplaced pass. Mm. That's just that's just part of the game. You, mm. you carry on and you try to get yeah. yourself yeah. going forward in the ninety minutes, mm. whereas. If we, as actors on a stage, fluff our lines or like something like that, mm. I mean, we're we're trained to the, get out. Yeah,
1: it's not part of the game, is
2: it? It's not part of the game. We're trained to get out of it, but it's not how the script goes. Um, and more often not, the audience don't notice. But I've been in I've been in plays where uh, the silence goes on for longer than intended, and it mm. become becomes a thing of people know something's gone gone wrong here, mm. but they like, I think I think the thing with theater audiences know that it's a live art form and anything can go wrong at any point mm. so when something mm. when something does go wrong yeah when I when I've been in the audience of a play and I've seen something go wrong what tends mm. to happen is at the end in the curtain call is an even bigger cheer as mm. if to say mm. you guys well done you got through that like mm. congrats and it's like it's like mm. we're all in it together sort of thing
1: mm. um, which is nice yeah mm. i guess mm. It's like snatching a last-minute victory, isn't it? Yeah, is.
2: You know, last-minute header. Yeah, yeah last-minute header. Yeah.
1: I, w- I just wonder in the in that in that industry, Charlie. What is there a lot of work and focus around well-being for actors? Because I know obviously in football at the moment it's a huge. There seems to be anyway a huge push um, to, to support players. I mean they're they're under the microscope, aren't they? Constantly online and, um, and on the pitch. I mean obviously De- the the Delhi Alley incident recently. Um, they tending to focus on how much is watch cost instead of the fact that, you know, he'd been subject to something quite scary.
2: There's not as much as there should be. Personally, there are things like equity and uh, spotlight, which sort of, you know, do, do like sessions every now and again on their website. They do like one-to-one sessions, like mm. therapy sessions, whatever, but it's more of a thing where you've sort of got to go and seek it yourself. Mm. You know what I mean? Like get therapy outside of the industry or whatever, or mm. chat to someone who's not involved in it. Mm. Um, there's a campaign a lot of a lot of the stuff that comes with being an actor is like the not knowing so when I mentioned earlier about when you go to an audition if you don't like you go to an audition your life is on hold because Mm. you you could be waiting to hear for two to three weeks and 90% of the time you don't hear at all and there was a massive campaign that an actor called um Danny Lee Winter set up and he called it the yes or no campaign, which was a campaign where um, for every for every establishment um, to commit to saying yes or no to an actor after they've auditioned, no matter what stage of the auditions they're at, they were saying all that needs to be made is a little button on Spotlight, which is where all the auditions go through. And you just click it, a yes or a no, and it gets sent to the actor yeah. who's auditioned. Um, and a lot of people were on board with that, but... I mean, this started about a year and a half ago and I've not seen a huge amount of progress with it, but I do know that having actor friends and being in the industry, that's probably the toughest, the toughest thing I've come across yet is the uncertainty and the miscommunication between you and the person you're auditioning for, mm. uh, yeah. not having, not having an answer. Like mm. it comes down to little things like they like parents. There's, there's parents that are actors, there's actors who, and actresses who have kids, you know, like things like childcare, like, an, an, an actress going to an audition and she knows if she gets it, she's going to have to book childcare. Like she needs to be able to do that in advance because if she gets, doesn't like, it's just all up in limbo. There needs to be more clarification that yes, you've got this. No, you haven't got this right. We can get on with our lives. Uh, okay. And I've, I've I found out before, sorry to carry on, but I, I found agree. out, I found out before that I hadn't got a job through a trailer that come on the telly. And it's like right, okay, there we go. That's mm. that's the one. I, that's the part I went up for. Clearly, didn't get it. I knew I hadn't got it because it had been about three months, mm. but it was confirmed to me from yeah. the trailer.
0: I, I was just going to say that's ultimately what led to my missus sort of uh, stopping performing. Um, so she did it for about ten or eleven years. Um, you know the various tours, like you said earlier, sort of drop of the hat. like you're on a you're on a coach doing a, a play tour across the UK on Monday the whole life drops that kind of thing and then ultimately sort of when we got engaged and we we're getting married that just not knowing you'd go to auditions you'd you know you'd read your stuff you'd not hear back from your agent you'd not hear back from them you know mm-hmm. and it would yeah. just it, eventually that you go you i'm trying to plan my life around something that's so uncertain and then it just got to the stage where actually mm-hmm. i'd rather plan my uncertainty around my life so she yeah. still performs loads sort does loads of gigs and stuff like that but it's just definitely a secondary thing and she does mm-hmm. that in part of her spare time so the, mm-hmm. and it's just it, that is probably the most difficult bit i think that was the ultimately the bit that led to not not the, not the all under the nose the rejection is fine i think 99% of the time of an actor's life they are getting told no um it, it's more the t- the sense that they, they're not knowing if you've been told no and actually mm-hmm. just sort of being left in the dark by other people and it's just it's just eventually gets to the point where, not for me yeah. um that's what she got to um
2: that's a really bold yes. that's a really really bold and brave thing to do though like to devote your whole life to something and then to come to the conclusion that right i'm gonna push this aside
0: yeah completely completely so um we won't throw people under the bus but, but yeah like you said, she did it for like 20 25 years ultimately because she went to those drama schools went to Mount View, did, did it on stage for another 10 11 years um then there was one i think you're getting towards the end of the tether anyway but then there's one particular uh sort of got one role did a tour didn't go very well ended up packing through the tour halfway through um and ultimately it's just that cathartic moment where just said you know what this is a, this is a step change this is a pivot moment in my life and actually a bit like tim said when he was a bit younger things you, you start saying well actually still a huge part of my life i probably just don't want it to be my life now it's mm-hmm. still, it will always be a huge part of their life performance and stuff like that but just not necessarily the thing um that will mm-hmm. dominate anymore um, yeah. mm. And I, I think that's the, the 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 beauty about being a football fan. When you compare it to something like that, is that that will never has to leave as a fan. Mm. So, you know, mm. if you're a fan of going to the yeah. theatre, a fan of going to the football you know, it's one of the only things that stays with you till you till you die, to be honest with you. I mean, mm. it's, the, it's probably the only thing in your club that stays with you all your life because, you know, relationships come and go, jobs come and go, you know, passions mm. come and go, even relatives and family, they come and go, but, you know, your club's with you till, till you go. Mm. And I think mm. that's a, a beauty in a way. And you've seen lots of documentaries now, aren't you, with the stuff like the, the Sunderland documentary, the Man City one, and actually seeing what it means to people and, and, and mm. fans Definitely. from up and down the country.
1: That Sunderland Till I Die one is just... I think it's absolutely it's master, masterful, absolutely it's masterful. Great, yeah, I mean that that opening track is just gets me every time. I've got a lump in my throat every time I listen to it, and the the, the, the lyrics as well. It just it's just on point. Um, but that, I thought that was just a brilliant mix of the realities of being a fan and the low points and the high points and that desperation for success. You know, um,
2: it's so sad because they they clearly made season one with the with the intention of get, mm, getting getting mm, straight back to mm, the mm, Premier League mm, yeah and then they went down yeah <laughs> they did
1: yeah i know they just it, it was almost expected wasn't it that they were going to go up because they were standing in and they were in league one and, and they didn't yeah it was twice at Wembley as well on, mm. the, on season two yeah like, oh. brilliant filmmaking though um yeah I couldn't, I couldn't i just couldn't I, binge, I actually binge watched that one I'm not a binge binge fan really but that one, I just smashed it out in in the space of two or three days. Mm. Um, but like as Tom said, I, I think I think that current trend of the football documentary, I think gives the fans a real insight into into their clubs, the players, uh, to the training, their character behind the scenes, how things work. I, th- I think it's I think it's great. I mean, I know some clubs have been a little bit hesitant to accept sort of Amazon's approaches. I think it, I think it will be quite common practice, won't it, in, in about three or four years. Mm. Actually, that, that moves us swiftly onto our swiftly or smoothly. I'm not sure uh, that our counter attack segment, Charlie. We've got, we've got a nice little game for you now. You're going to enjoy this. Tom's going to uh, kick yeah. us off.
0: Yeah, okay. So we'll we basically fire uh, questions at you. We want ideally uh, quick, rapid fire answers. Um, cool. Most of them are just either ors. Um So, your favorite sports film? Uh, film. Oh, my God. Uh, the goal. Favorite uh, play or musical?
2: My favorite play uh probably blood brothers musical yeah
0: would you rather play the lead role in a hugely successful run at the national or be Barnett's number nine for a season?
2: Oh my god. Oh my god. I need longer than a second for that. (laughs) The lead role at the national for just once. Five seconds.
0: Yeah, for a nice, for a good run, no, for a good run of, a good run of, to, a good six-month run away, everyone would.
2: That's I've got to go national. I can If if anyone's listening to this and I choose Barnet, it could be my career over. So.
0: <laughs> well, the next one you might have to go for Barnet then. So to Barnet to go on a dreamy run and make it a few promotions to the Premier League, um, or England to win the World Cup.
2: Barnet, without a doubt. Good man. Um, Club over country.
0: Best Barnet player ever. Um, Albert Adoma. And finally, your dream dinner table. So we want two actors and two footballers around yours for a a takeaway and a few drinks.
2: Um, Danny Mays. Um, Two actors, two footballers? Yeah. All right, we've got Danny Mays, Dean Windass, Tom Hardy, and um, let's go with Jimmy Bullard.
0: That's a great shot, yeah. Nice, that'd be good laugh. That'd, that'd be nice a Friday for, yeah. night in, yeah. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. Happy. <laughs> yeah.
1: great laugh. Yeah. God, I'm you,
2: stressed out after those questions, mate. My heart's racing.
0: You're, 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 te- you're
2: texting me after, saying, "Oh, can you edit and change the answer?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you change it? Actually, I'd rather be on number nine for a season.
1: It? <laughs> oh, I, don't, I,
2: I, I, I don't think any fans would appreciate me being the number nine for a season. we probably well, get exactly yeah. You hold the ball up,
1: well, Charlie. To be
2: fair, six foot five. <laughs>
1: yeah. Shopping you could re- you could you could replace Liam Hatch. We never replaced him, did we?
2: Yeah, I'd fancy myself in the air, but if there's a ball over the top, game <laughs> over. <laughs>
1: sure. To finish off, though, Charlie, obviously you've you've um, got a podcast of your own at the moment. Yes, Ch- Charlie chats footy. Just talk to us a little bit about how it's going, how you're enjoying it, your experiences so far, and obviously just to give it a little shout out.
2: Yeah. So what what it is is um, I basically had this. It's very it's very rare that you come across. Um, like if I was in a rehearsal room for a new play with 10 actors and actresses, the chances are there'd probably be one person that I would chat to about football. That's been my experience anyway. Mm. Um, Same with at drama school. In the class of 20, there was two of us who really, really loved football. Mm. Um, And the chats I do have with them, it's just fun. They're just amazing. I don't know if it's because of, um, I mean, you got chatting to you guys about football is incredible as well because, you know, you, you get the other, you're passionate, and what I'm trying to say is, I don't know whether it's the way that we actors are as people that we have to like embody emotion and like characters mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. and we have that like inner. I don't know. I don't know if passion is the right word because everyone, every football fan has passion, but I find there's something different when I chat to actors or creatives about it, and wh- whenever there's like an actor on Soccer AM. I always get like so excited because it's like you hear the more human side of them chatting about their football team. So I basically just came up with the idea to combine the two together. And you know, I was bored of hearing actors on interviews talking about what they're doing next, what mm. they've been in, and I wanted to hear. Mm. I wanted one more people to hear like the more human side of an actor and hear about mm. their other passion, where we don't talk about acting at all. Because mm. um, I think when you watch an actor on telly, you think they're so embodied in their career and their character and their role that they couldn't possibly have a passion of anything else. So mm. yeah, that was the idea. So to get actors and creatives on just to chat about football.
1: Who would be your dream guest, Charlie? Um my dream guest. Do you know I'd love to hear Joaquin Phoenix talk about football. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you know do you know what? Probably Tom Hanks. He's a
1: villa fan, isn't he? Yeah,
2: yeah. that's a good shout get Tom Hanks on talk about Aston Villa
1: HTO are delighted to announce a new partnership with Football Beyond Borders a charity whose mission is to provide young people from disadvantaged backgrounds the opportunities to engage and inspire them back into education you can check out their amazing work at footballbeyondborders.org and here at HTO we look forward to being a part of their journey